Well, I invite you now to turn with me in the Bible to Psalm 90. Psalms are roughly in the middle of the, the Bible there. If you don't have one handy, you may be able to look it up on your digital device or underneath the seats in front of you. There should be a Bible somewhere nearby handy. We're going to look at Psalm 90 in just a, a minute and also reference Philippians 121 as well. Again, continuing this week in our series, if you've been here any time in the last four or five weeks, you know that we're walking through this series, uh, Don't Waste Your Struggles, drawing from some material by John Piper, Don't Waste Your Cancer was the name of his booklet that I've modified a bit and attempted to apply much more generally and broadly to all the different things that we, we struggle with, that we wrestle with. Uh, we saw the very first week that we're invited to lean hard, we said, into Jesus and to do that with hope-filled groaning. Again, the picture of a pregnant uh, woman looking forward to birth but enduring pain and suffering along the way as we struggle in this life and look forward to what God is going to do in our lives now and on an eternity. We said we wanted to lean hard into the Lord. We saw a week after that that we should yield or seek to yield to God's shaping like a pizza dough that needs to be pulled and twisted a bit and even some temperature risen on it. Uh, we too, God works through struggling to shape us into who he wants us to be so the toppings can be put on top and be ready to be something delightful, if you will, and delicious. Uh, so we saw that we should do that by seeing uh, even our struggles as God-ordained gifts. If we can do that, then we can be shaped by, by them. We can be yielded to, to God's shaping. We saw after that that we're invited to pray to God in the midst of our struggles, and that so often what we do instead is we try to look at the odds. You know, we try to trust the odds, not God, in the midst of our struggles, whatever those are. What are the odds of me getting out of this financial situation I am? What are the odds of me getting through this health deal that I'm facing? What are the odds of this uh, relationship working out that I'm frustrated or challenged by? We, we tend to look to that, and it certainly it's not bad to know what your odds are. It's not bad to look at some of that information, but we tend to trust that instead of praying and looking to God through prayer. Uh, we saw last week, I think it was, that we have this tendency as well, kind of with a similar theme as the one I just mentioned, to uh, learn a lot about the things that we're dealing with. How do I fix my marriage? What book can I read on being a better parent? Uh, what, what, where can I get some information about this particular chronic issue I'm dealing with? We like to, to read what we can, digest what we can, but often we spend so much time doing that and not very much time meditating on God, researching our Redeemer. So we were invited last week to, to dive into God's Word in the midst of the struggles that we're facing, to look there for the help that we need. Which brings us up to today, where we're going to talk about a reality that's probably, I mean, this whole series is a little bit of a grind, right? <laughs> On the one hand, I sincerely hope that it's genuinely refreshing to each one of us at a very deep place in our lives, because we do face struggles. But it's somewhat difficult each week to be reminded of those things. On, on some level, we want to just push them off to the side and forget about them somehow. But I, I hope that by facing these things head on, that we're actually helping ourselves. We're going deeper in relationship with God. And so today maybe is the, the one that would hit us the hardest. At least it, does, it seems that way to me. 
And that is that we would number our days rightly. Or as people have discussed throughout past centuries, that we would contemplate a good death. Contemplate a good death. Number our days rightly. Take a look with me at Psalm 90, and I think you'll see pretty quickly what I'm talking about. We're going to read the whole thing because it's got a bunch of information related to this theme packed in here. (coughs) Starting at verse 1 in Psalm 90, in my Bible says it's a prayer of Moses. So listen to these words. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And listen to this last section. So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Establish the work of our hands. And then Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle Paul just says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, help us in the time that we've got in your word this morning to understand what it means to number our days rightly. Oh, Lord, this is a good thing for us to do. It's one that we don't really like wrestling with. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw us in, that any impulse that's out there among us today or that's in me today to push this away instead of to embrace it, that you would sweep that away, that you would allow us to encounter you again today as we wrestle with these truths. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis, which I highly commend to you if you uh, haven't read them yourself, or I guess you could watch some movies if you want to, but maybe read the books too. Uh, Read them, parents, to your kids, uh, grandparents, to your grandkids, uh, aunts and uncles, to your nieces and nephews. 
uh, get those books and get them into your life and into the lives of those around you. Young ones, pick them up and read them. They're good, good things to read. At the end of the last book, entitled The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis writes this, that I hope will be compelling and helpful for us today as we jump into this theme. He starts by writing about Aslan, the lion, Christ figure in the books that weaves his way on through all of the books, and he says this, and as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen that were, after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia, you remember Narnia was sort of reflected the heavenly, the kingdom of God. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. I love that. Don't you love that? What a picture. What a picture of what the Bible invites you and I to do when it encourages us to be focused on the things of eternal life in such a way that it folds back, that it pushes back into what we do and say and think today. And let me go ahead and say for the young ones in here today, <clears throat> you think, well, you know, talking about dying and headed to eternal life, that sounds like something that's way off in the distant future. Let me just tell you that, and many of you have seen it already. Many of you young ones have already seen those that you know and care about that have faced maybe serious illnesses or condition, life threatening. Maybe you've, maybe you've lost a, a young friend. Those that are in the high school age and stage, um, sadly, it won't, it won't be long if it hasn't already been that the, the car accident will come along or other issues will come along that will, will be the loss of a loved one. So we're not just talking about those that are 50. We're talking about those that are 15 and that are even five today to think about these things of eternal life. And the main idea that I want us to grapple with is this Psalm 90, verse 12, numbering our days rightly. So if you want to look in the back of your worship guide, follow along, you can. Just this main idea that we, when we number our days rightly, in light of Christ, that's really important, we're going to get to that, we don't waste our struggles. So if your struggles in your life <clears throat> point you and me to... Uh, number our days rightly and realize the, the temporal nature of this life, if our struggles do that, and that draws us closer to Christ and allows us to live a life that's more glorifying to God, that's a way to not waste our struggles, to harness our struggles for something good. 
Well, why do we need to hear this today? I already highlighted part of it. We, we tend to want to push death to the fringes. We don't want to talk about it. Uh, we maybe think it's inescapable too, especially young ones. We tend to, tend to think, uh, we, we tend to think it's escapable, forget that it's inescapable. We can also tend to live just in a general way as if this world is our ultimate home. We do that. We, in the midst of all this too, even if we know something about death and so forth, we, even if in a general way, I've been discovering this the last couple of months, even if in a general way we embrace the death-defeating power of Jesus, we maybe only do that at a shallow level. We don't really do it at a deep level, embrace the death-defeating work of Jesus. And so, because of all those reasons, we, we tend not to number our days rightly. And we certainly are probably not thinking about contemplating a good death. What does that look like? So let's unpack these a little bit. The first thing we see in the scriptures and in this psalm we saw is that we cannot escape death. You saw it in the psalm. It said that, you know, the the years themselves are swept away like grass and grass that withers. Elsewhere in scripture, it describes us as people, that that's what we are, that we're, we're a vapor. And that's not God saying that we're we're insignificant somehow. God, God has a, a love for each one of us individually, in particular plans for each one of us individually. But at the same time, we know, as the psalm said, our, our span, now I guess mod, modern medicine has got us to where, you know, we can kick that number a little higher than the 70 or 80 that's listed in the psalm, but that's still basically the, the average, even today, right, with all our medical advances. So we see that we cannot escape death in Psalm 90. And then if you want to look uh, elsewhere in the scriptures just to, to uh, solidify that truth, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. But uh, chapter 9, verse 27 says this, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Okay, so it goes on and it says, Christ, having been offered once for sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So it's got some, some good news we're going to talk about in just a minute. But before it gives us the good news, it gives us the bad news. Verse 27, Hebrews 9, it's appointed once for man to die, and after that comes judgment. All the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 2, we find out why this is the case. Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. Again, you probably don't need to turn there. Just listen. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Good things to do with his life. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. I got all these good things that I have for you to enjoy and to delight in. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We know that God spared Adam and Eve from that in terms of immediate death, but spiritual death came in. And of course, death, mortality that we know uh, continued. I like, uh, I like what Woody Allen said somewhere along the way. He's, uh, I guess, a producer, actor, comedian, personality, whatever you want to call uh, Woody, Woody Allen. To my knowledge, he's not a, a believer in, in Christ, but he said this somewhere along the way, as only he can. He said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. I like that from Woody Allen. 
like to achieve immortality just through not dying. How about that? J.I. Packer put it a little bit more uh, sobering, maybe relevant uh, for us today. He said this, he says, death has been, been called the new obscenity, the new foul word, the inappropriate thing to say. The nasty thing, he says, which no polite person nowadays will talk about in public, but death, even when unmentionable, remains inescapable. The one sure fact of life is that one day, with or without warning, quietly or painfully, he says, it is going to stop. How am I then going to cope with death when my turn comes? Well, I think it was John Cougar Mellencamp and his uh, authority song that he says, the preacher always dreams of dying. Dying, don't, to me, don't sound like all that much fun. So you're probably feeling that right about now. You've got that tune going through your mind. I know some of you uh, products of the 80s out there probably singing that song in your mind. And I get that. But if we go into a medical professional and our prognosis is terminal, we want to know that, don't we? That doctor's not doing their job if they don't tell us you've got six months so that you can figure out what to do with that six months. If you're in a military unit and you're about to go into battle and your commanding officer knows that the likelihood of survival is about zero from this particular operation, that commanding officer is doing you no favors by not telling you that, right? You want to know what is the scope, what is the span, so I can write letters home or so I can live a particular way that I need to live in those remaining days. I'm not doing my job as a preacher of the gospel if I don't tell us and remind us somewhat regularly that we are all in a limited span of time here on this earth. So that's what the scriptures say. It's a tough thing to embrace, but I encourage you to embrace that. Death is it's inescapable. It's inescapable. Jesus may return. That would be good. But otherwise, it will be that case for all of us. In parallel to this, we not only forget that death is inescapable, but we, we kind of camp out a little too much in this, in this world and in this life. We feel like this is our, our long-term home. Hebrews 11 has got some to say about this, too. It's interesting, several of these things that are in the, the book of Hebrews, which might not be one we, we pick up every day. But Hebrews 11, if I can get there to it, says this, starting in verse 13, describing some of these Old Testament saints. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were what? Strangers and exiles on the earth. That's what you and I are. We're strangers and exiles at some level on the earth. We want to delight in the beauty of God's creation. We want to enjoy the relationships that we have with one another. We want to invest ourselves in our calling and our responsibilities and our opportunities to serve and to love and to glorify God. We want to do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we do it as those who are aliens, who are exiles on earth goes on and says, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. A city. What a promise. It's a reminder that this world is not our home. I saw a video, I think one in our church showed it to me, of uh, Francis Chan, the pastor Francis Chan. And I should have probably done the same thing instead of describing it. But he brings out a long rope, maybe but it was spraying all the way across this building. And he's got that rope out, and he has a little piece of bright red tape on the very tip of that rope. And he says, you know, our life span is as wide as that little piece of red tape compared to that rope laid out here, which is eternity. This is not our home. This is not our home. And that's actually a really, really good thing. Because if we realize our struggles... And, and believe me, the Lord doesn't, in talking about these matters, the Lord doesn't give us any permission to try to check out, right? These verses are not about us taking our opportunity to check out of this life, even though the next life we know is a great one, all right? So God's called us to actually endure the struggles and meet him in it. But nevertheless, this world is not our home. You know, I've really wrestled with this in the last a number of months here with some of the health issues I had. And, I, and I, it, it struck me in this way. I, I guess I wouldn't normally consider myself a person who deeply struggles with worldliness. I've got a lot of other struggles and sin patterns that I wrestle with. But I really, it doesn't really matter to me all that much what kind of car I drive as long as it gets me from point A to point B. It's just not a, a thing. I've got other things. The house I live in, I'm happy to have a good place. I'm thankful for our church providing for me and my family or whatever so we can have a, a decent place to live and so forth. But it's not a big thing for me to have the next biggest place or whatever. That's just not how I'm wired. So when you normally think of worldliness, you, you can maybe sort of think of those things. But I have discovered that I am a very, very worldly person. Not in terms of all that stuff. I'm a worldly person in the sense that my attention has been highly focused just on this life, just on this life. And the Bible calls us to have our attention focused in heaven so that it can fold back into this life and inform what we do in this life. And I have just realized that uh, e even in good stuff, ministry, wanting to see God develop a church, wanting to see people's lives impact spiritually, uh, wanting to invest in our, our kids, our boys, and all of those good things, that my attention has been largely or if not almost exclusively focused on this life. I haven't been living as an alien stranger in this world in that sense. So we're invited here to remember that the world, this world is not our home. Colossians chapter 3 gives us another passage to help with that. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 4 says, if then you've been raised with Christ. It's talking about the fact that when we come into a relationship with Jesus through faith and what he's done, we're linked up with him and everything that's true of him is true of us. So in, he's, he's dying, he's rising, we're linked up spiritually already. So this is talking about what already has happened spiritually to us if we're in Christ. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So I've got a couple more points for us, but let's pause there today.
for right now. Where are you seeing in your life that you're really not grappling with the reality of, of death? Where, if you think about it in your life, in my life, are we focused on this life as our home and not thinking of ourselves as aliens and strangers? The awesome thing is that Jesus is taking care of that. We know biblically that Jesus took care of the sting of death. I won't have us turn for sake of time to 1 Corinthians 15, but if you've ever been to a funeral or ever been around an Easter service, you've probably heard that passage where it says, where, oh, death is your sting, where is your victory? And thanks be to God that Christ has been the victory for us over death. And that leads us to this passage, Philippians 1. If you haven't uh, been following along with me in the other passages, which is fine, I would invite you to turn at least to First or to Philippians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament, uh, after Romans, after First and Second Corinthians. And I want to just bring us home by talking about this passage. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's not sure if he's going to live or he's going to die. He really doesn't know. And frankly, it's totally out of his hands. Just as for all of us, if we realize it at any moment, the same thing's totally out of our hands. He's just got an acute awareness of it because he happens to be in prison. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, starting really back in verse 19, at the end of 18 actually, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. An interesting posture to take for a guy who's in prison just for preaching and teaching good stuff about God. He goes on, he says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not, I will not be at all ashamed but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. We may not have a lot of time today to talk about contemplating a good death. That's a passage about what it means to try to move towards the reality of death in our lives in a way that is good, that's God-honoring. The Apostle Paul says that he hopes that he will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Then he goes on and he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am, am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. Right? He's not stuck like, like I'm tending to be with this world being his home. He knows it's better to be with Jesus in heaven. But he goes on and says, but to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. He knows if he's here, there's a purpose that God has for him here, and he wants to fulfill that purpose. The pastor uh, Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse of, I think it was 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia some years ago, uh, his wife passed away at a, young, a very young age. They had young kids still at the same time. And as they were driving to the funeral, of course, the family, he and his kids, just totally shaken to the core, totally broken by the loss of their mother, his wife. And they drove as they went down the road. It was a sunny day, and they were passing a two-lane road, and they went past a large delivery truck. And as the delivery truck was coming, with the sunlight shining, they could see the shadow, and then they could see the truck come by. And Dr. Barnhouse was seeking to comfort his kids with the gospel reality. And he said to them, he said, do you see the truck? 
They said, yes. He said, do you see its shadow? They said, yes. He said, which would you rather be hit by, the truck or the shadow? Barnhouse said, Jesus was hit by the truck so that we would only have to go through the shadow. That's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Because of all this, the Lord invites us to contemplate what he calls a good death. A Catholic seminarian, Daniel Sessions, said this at a recent funeral for a Bishop Foley. He said, live life in preparation for death so that when facing death, there's no need to change how we live. The uh, philosophers of the past calls this the ars moriendi, ars moriendi. And some of them have stated it from an atheistic standpoint or a godless standpoint. I'll, I'll stand on the, the ship, the, the bow of the ship as it's sinking, and I'll salute, right? I'll find some dignity in death or whatever, even if the ship is going down. As believers in Christ, we don't have to make up some kind of dignity. The apostle Paul just told us in the passage we read in Colossians, that our life's hid with Christ, and he's going to bring us through to the other side. Let me close with this story. A sick man one day was uh, talking to his doctor in the examination room, and the man said to the doctor, he said, doctor, I'm afraid to die. Can you tell me what's on the other side? He knew the doctor was a, a Christian. The doctor said, I, I don't know exactly. Man was kind of upset. He said, how can that be? You're, you're a Christian man. Don't you know what's on the other side? The doctor was holding the door handle as they stood there. And on the other side, there came a little scratching noise and even some whining. And as he opened the door, the doctor did, his dog sprang into his examining room at his practice and jumped up on him and just had a, a glad, joyful uh, experience as dogs do. Well, the doctor turned to his patient and said, did you notice that dog? The man said, yes. The doctor said, he's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. He knew nothing except that his master was here. And so when, he, when I opened the door, he sprang in without fear. Let's pray.